the Samanda Kohlhoff. So Amanda, German last name. Don't worry about trying to pronounce it. <laughs> I'm German Irish too. So there you go. <laughs> These Germans, uh, yeah, don't I'm care. here. We don't care. Exactly. I'm like I, I've just stopped telling people how to say it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, so it was great to have you back on here, and I just thought, hey, you know, we we did. You did such a cool deep dive into the 90s cinema and ever-changing pop culture and how things were made. So I was like, you know, who better than to do the 2000s and 2010s? Just kind of sum up yeah, different kind of diverse films that come out of there. So as a lowdown uh, for those who are about to listen, so much like we did with the last few decades, you know, we, we summed up the 60s and 70s together and then we got into the 80s and then we took on the 90s and we're going to do much of the same it's like how do the different degrees of filmmaking distribution uh digital versus film and type of marketing and other the- thematic material ch- change as a whole so right. thank you once again for making it here yeah thanks for having me i'm Anytime. always down to talk about movies well and you just had a cool just attitude because you just you you also just talked about how like celebrity crushes were bigger, a bigger thing, how mm-hmm. people were glued to the screen. I mean, you know, but you went beyond just talking about, you know, setting a VCR tape to record and, uh, you know, uh, renting versus recording. And it, you, <laughs> yeah. you're also going into how, you know, the box office changed the whole thing. Now, if anything makes less than 30 million, it's no longer a hit. <laughs> just right. 20 million. So I mean, if it mu- makes 30, you're breaking even. <laughs> Yeah, the, the money the money trends change, the different kind of experimental films become even more mainstream. Filmmakers who are kind of dwindling at the end of their career, like Brian De Palma and George Romero are even showing up now and again. Mm-hmm. Uh, big studio pictures are hiring nobodies who either keep doing more hackneyed entertainment or kind of disappear after one giant flop. You know, it's, we have right. a lot more music video directors. Uh, we have a lot of, again, just actors who were reality show stars or models. The Razzies are even worse this time of... <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, people are having to learn the very beginning stages of the internet. We think it's toxic now, but when it first started out, again, people were going on IMDb message boards to talk about this movie sucks, docky balls. You know, it's just, we, were, mm-hmm. we are seeing a different trend on what makes best and worst of the year people are still buying into the whole thing on, hey, you know, I can create my own blog and talk about movies. And right. uh, I have to, I, there's so many critics I still love and still follow to this day, but there were many who I had to eventually, just like YouTubers, just reject after a while because they're just coming up with such tired arguments like, this actor clearly knew this was a piece of shit. I'm like, they may have, right. or they, maybe they didn't, but, you know, they used the worst take or the sound and type of production was just bottom of the barrel amateur you know it's just it, we we start learning how people become can become sensations overnight and then they try to destroy their careers and label them as sellouts when they make a bad movie to follow it up with you're only the whole the whole you're only as good as your last movie bullshit trend starts i hate it. that oh, i hate yeah. that i do too and like I, it's I, okay I, to have passion projects it's okay to do indie people, films. it's okay to do favors for people who helped you out and even if it's not a great movie it's like hey this person helped launch my career oh they want me to come do some sticky movie okay i'll do it because that's the kind of person i am 
a thousand percent cares if your last movie was a you know huge franchise blockbuster you can still i mean actors have that choice and i don't see why people have to be so shitty about it absolutely i go to metacritic way more than i do you know i don't pay ron tomatoes and i need to be any moment of my time with the user score because it's just off right. bullshit and it never adds up and so this is basically where everyone kind of finds out different kinds of movies they can market there's so many pixar knockoff studios that are trying to steal some mm-hmm. of that dreamworks or sony animation money there you know blue sky studios is a big deal with post ice age projects you know and mm-hmm. and like you said uh, in the 90s you know anyone could become a movie star whether it was a basketball player or a model and they're still doing some of those leftover 90s trends people are still coming out with forgettable buddy cop movies and uh dark comedies romantic movies and even just stupid you know patriotic war movies that all of them whether they're good or bad just flop just because we're we're still reining in from the pain of the iraq war and how that's politically dividing us then and so right uh, people are even doing historical movies and people are then realizing, wow, I don't like anything for the most part that the Oscars are nominating. They're just depressing and dull. <laughs> yeah. Especially the 2010s, I feel, were like that. Oh, yeah. After 2013, I never saw another one with, ever again. Yeah. Uh, the only but, one I had seen was Captain Phillips and her one and then all these other ones by ailing filmmakers who I no longer cared about. I was just like, fuck it. I'm not watching them anymore. It's all money. It's all, yeah. and it's so wild how we have all these insider books and everything, and people still believe it's a fair contest, even though a DreamWorks book even cited how studios start doing the whole bidding and right. the stuff they've been doing for a while, but it becomes even more crystal clear. People start realizing how movies are made, more documentaries are even made, and they realize how so many actors started off, you know, in schlock and then became big name stars after they did a hit sitcom or a bunch of hit movies mm-hmm. uh, we, we see so many people kind of blurring the line between you know going back and forth between a show and a movie well, more of the it's the rise of the character actor i call it because this is before in the 2010s where they didn't relaunch it and then they say hey how would a mega movie star carry a giant show now you know right <laughs> that prejudice is gone like we talked about before. you get people in that way Mm-hmm. people start getting emmys for like a surprise guest star appearance on a show that's typically a routine kind of procedural or sitcom and uh, uh people start wanting to be the first one who comes up with it you know with the kind of program right yeah um, and especially with like netflix and hulu and like with streaming services it's so different it's weird the first yeah, time hulu i saw was really lame back in 07 it was just yeah. coming up with all in and crackle were basically whatever free movies this month, here you go. And you go, and it's free with, right. you know, seven different ads and uh, Netflix, you know, it was kicking blockbusters ass. Now when blockbuster tried to do the whole, okay, well, we'll give you a streaming option in addition to, you know, mailing the movies to you, if you don't want to go to the store and, you know, this by the 2010s, you know, a little, little known company called Redbox, you know, comes mm-hmm. out too and steals that money and says, see, we're like blockbuster, but see, you get it at any convenience store, any casino, any you know, yeah, everywhere you gas station, go. and you can return it anywhere. It doesn't have to be the 40 minutes from your home. <laughs> 
I just could, I can remember the, I mean, I don't remember it exactly, but the first time like a Netflix movie got nominated for an Academy Award or even a Golden Globe. And I'm like, how? It played in theaters for two weeks. Bullshit. Or or it's a Netflix original that didn't play in theaters at all. And it's just like, I'm glad that they finally locked that rule. So they're not going to be able to play that bullshit anymore. But yes, like, like, like you say, this is the rise of the corporate games. We start becoming even more better known about certain producers. Uh, Just, just this last year, uh, Scott Rudin finally got canceled. Um, Joel Silver, you know, who's known Mm -hmm. for his stylish blockbusters Uh, by the, by 2012, he's basically, told to leave warner brothers because no one wants to work with his over-the-top arrogance anymore (laughs) and yeah we we start seeing a change in certain producers owning the movie and tv landscape now people have a little more creative freedom the minute they have any mega hit everyone the studios are latching on to bigger investors now again all of a sudden they're going to they're trying to determine whether something's a hit based on the china overseas money that they get they try to Again, like you say, uh, this is where what by the 2010s we begin the whole film versus digital act, where mm-hmm. you know people like Steven Soderbergh are filming it on all sorts of things, and uh, people are making movies in literally like two weeks now and submitting them to Sundance. And Robert Redford steps down from Sundance; he gets tired of how it's now right. become a giant studio model and not the little indie free for all game that he originally intended it as. Um, I would love to have gone to the Sundance Film Festival, like in its heyday. I think that would have been so cool. Because by the time I was be- being offered it in film school around 2014, 15, it was just a detractor because I was like, I'm not going to, I don't want to watch movies all day. I want to watch maybe one, maybe two, you know, like start out in the afternoon, then maybe come back in the evening, but don't all day. That's, that's like going to a convention right. all day. And if all the guests suck, oh, that's time I want back, you know? Exactly. And so it was up in the mountains and uh, it was also just one of those of like, yeah, in its heyday, it was definitely pretty cool. And it just seemed like when I was seeing just the feedback, how certain movies were becoming even harder to distribute, people start, in some ways, this is what I also like, people do start accepting that, you know, the internet is no different than direct-to-video or straight made-for-TV. This is an argument we're now having too, but people started embracing all kinds of different stars still because they kind of faded since the nineties and mm-hmm. uh, they kind of show up again. People are able to, again, still do outrageous pot smoking comedies and martial arts movies, you know, like three of them right. a year and still fill the bins at Redbox if since blockbusters no more. And so that's a cool oh, thing. So sad. Right. And it, it is wild how, again, TV channels start closing down and merging. Um, New Line Cinema kind of fades into mm-hmm. the foreground with Warner Brothers, you know, changing it up. Comcast. But it was the over. house that Freddie built. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And there's no more Freddy Krueger movies, so what are you going to do? But yeah, right. after Lord of the Rings, they don't need them anymore. And then MGM, again, I, I surprised my father when I told him this the other day when they got sold to Amazon. And he's just like, hey, they were sony bottom i'm like yeah that's how they were able to come up with these new james bond movies and all that you know mm-hmm. they got other studios yeah. interested in their shit and uh, fox still owns some of the home distribution rights to select titles so it's just interesting how we get more people buying other people you know if not yeah. other studios uh Lions i will Gay tell you buys other um, studios yeah. 
sorry. Go I would say I will tell you that uh, Wes Craven's estate has said they are looking for a way to bring Freddie back into a new, like not bring him back, but like reintroduce him to a new either movie or series or something. And they're actually accepting ideas. I may or may not have worked on something, but I don't have the guts to send it to them. <laughs> also, okay. I don't want to not get credit for it. So I love how you said it in the same sentence as guts. It's pretty about to rip <laughs> right? in your spine. But if that makes you, well, and so that's interesting. That's a good segue here. Uh, we see a lot of remakes of popular movies. So then it becomes a fun kind of which remakes sucked more or sucked less kind of oh, argument. Yeah. And uh, we could do we, a whole episode on that. That would be a great episode. Um, so I guess you've heard how the fan theory that is often agreed upon and the studios reject, but it's kind of canon technically since it was knowingly done but technically freddie and jason are in the same universe as evil dead oh i have not heard that okay really? so the, the freddie glove okay is in evil dead too as a sam uh, raimi nod to craven yeah and uh it shows up again in the ash versus tv show season one when he gets to the house and uh they crossed over the producer the lead producer who greenlit the whole freddie versus jason movie mm -hmm. back in 03 continued on used drafts in comic book form it was like a two-part issue interesting and like he did like one then he did a sequel to it with full cooperation from Raimi's estate and just because you know universal bought evil dead free and you know Lionsgate owned the first two and then uh you know again so <laughs> Paramount crazy. and New Line owned Freddie and Jason so yeah it uh, I, I like how we see more and more crossovers, you know, less on TV and more on movies, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, everyone's adapting every other comic book. There's always an alternate oh, yeah. uh, audience for everything, even though, again, the numbers just aren't there. But everyone starts embracing DVD more because they really love the enhanced video and sound quality and skipping chapters on, like, on a tape where you have to mm -hmm. fast forward if you really hate it. And Some people will never know the struggle of that. They really or, don't. Or of accidentally recording over your favorite thing when you wanted to record something else. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes like, the tracking from needing to be adjusted because you just played the shit out of the tape, you know. And I have so right. many tapes. I'm surprised they still play well because I played the hell out of them growing up. <laughs> yeah, them at least that's twenty impressive. times, like five times a year. And and you have to store them correctly. They're like albums. Like you, you can't... have to rewind them. Yeah. yeah. Like DVDs, you can just throw in a box and put them out in the garage if you really want to. But mm -hmm. videotapes, you can't do that. Like, you exactly. gotta preserve them. A thousand percent. Um, and so, before we embrace the whole digital age, yeah, we were getting into the Blu ray wars, how mm -hmm. some companies do a hack job. They literally just do what looks like a simple final cut edit where they just enhance everything and then just put it on the market. Some of them seem to be satellite TV transfers and Others are just really no better than the DVDs that are well-worn out or ex expensive collector's items. So we see a lot of interesting innovations for home video. And then we get into the whole, uh, I, I love how, again, people start going to YouTubers, you know, and other mm -hmm. sites because they're getting sick of listening to mainstream critics who are in on the take versus ones who they like, but they just never really see eye to eye with. Uh, we, and like you say, it is very common that audiences start signing up for like a private critic screening. So they get 
a free invite to go see all the hit movies of the year and mm-hmm. catch up on them instead of be behind the curve. Theaters change their venues and start enhancing again even more and more. Like IMAXs are in every single one of them instead of just, you know, one at the end of town. <laughs> and, right. Um, there's discounts on popcorn and other shit, you know, and Coke drinks in addition to rewards. So people find other ways to market the whole system. People find ways to show their own movies at sci-fi horror conventions. And Uh even just, I I know if you, you can even ask AMC or even Angelica to show your movie, if you just paid like 400 for the night, you know? (laughs) Oh, interesting. So maybe 2000. So it, the indie filmmaking scene starts increasing and then we start seeing just the worst of the worst, you know, ego-headed people, people who are hot for a minute and then had a scandal and then had to basically mm-hmm. rebound for five more years and uh, like then just sucked it up and just said, screw it, I'll just become the host of a dance competition show or, right. a show, <laughs> or I'll be the stud or bombshell on a doctor show. <laughs> yeah. I the the blu-ray dvd thing too i feel like yeah you could sort of tell i mean a difference but i think where we're at especially more now is that it's like it's not just the blu-rays and the dvds it's your tv and what device you're using to play them that if if your tv doesn't have compatibility to recognize a dvd from 2003 it's going to play like shit so it's like everything's getting smarter but everything's not compatible and that annoys me because we have you know we have a projector and a big screen and um, a receiver sound system thing but some of the audio and video options are not as up to date as some of the movies we have yeah sometimes they don't do a proper dolby remaster or what have you or they just import it but it's a rough import it's yeah sync and so yeah, we see a lot of that. We see people getting region free players, whereas like they can play anything from any country, whether it's Britain or Spain or you know, yeah, Korea. And remember yeah. laser discs? Yeah, <laughs> Those laser were discs. hot for a minute. <laughs> they were hot for a minute. DVD took over, and then basically Blu-rays trying to recapture the laser disc magic, where uh, and make special use of special features and. And all that good stuff yeah like... no longer needing betamax <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh my gosh that that is old mm-hmm. beta betamax <laughs> i remember going to the blockbuster and making sure i didn't that i rented the vhs and not the not the betamax or whatever because <laughs> they were different size tapes oh for sure i'll say you might not be that that old to remember that but <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Um, So 2000s are pretty cool because, like, we're still seeing a lot of giant epics. We're seeing Antoine Fuqua make an impression by mixing drama with hard-boiled, you know, 80s-style action in 2000s form. We're seeing Tony Scott and Michael Bay be, again, Mm -hmm. you know, giant multiplexes who people either really hate or really love. And then we see, uh, again, Ridley Scott is doing just giant historical epics and Scorsese and Spielberg are still getting occasional hits in there that and way long overdue acclaim and and then we start seeing again just more people are still making occasional movies on the side like they wish like we mentioned Sam Raimi earlier but Joe Dante is doing them Uh, other people become very vocal about how the industry is changing and so they didn't decide you know fuck it I'm gonna do movies that I want to make 
Right. Yeah, we, we see more and more indie studios form. Uh, IFC, the Independent Film Channel, does a lot of them. And like I you say, oh, yeah. And it's a shame they don't show indies anymore. <laughs> they become Yeah, I know, right? Like, everything I ever see on there is like, oh, okay. <laughs> Not that they show bad movies, but it's like, okay, mm -hmm. well, I know this one already. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is like the big, I think, where we really start to see the rise of the indie movie. Whereas the 2010s, you have to basically be an indie movie to get any awards. But in the 2000s, it's still like a mix. But, you know, you get like just a few here and there, like Little Miss Sunshine or Juno. I'm glad you brought um, those up. Like those are the rise of, yeah, the Fox yeah. Searchlight studio really does turn out quite a lot of great crowd pleasers that are able to find the perfect divide between movies that you know those really are have figured us out those entertain anyone whether they're looking whether they're the kind who want a john hughes kind of quotable high school mm -hmm. drama or a pot smoking movie now here's one that's kind of just tender and very articulate about uh coming of age and and uh, you got great actors and you know of different demographics right. all in them intersected in it and uh, by the two, 2010s, again, you know, we get uh, even bigger breakthroughs. We get a giant LGBTQ breakthrough in the form of Call Me By Your Name. We mm -hmm. get, we get uh, religious dramas by has-beens like Paul Schrader trying to, once again, do raw, you know, energy uh, in between, you know, again, re religious politics and other just very hard to market stuff that is just so emotionally rewarding and you think about for days and unrecognizable performances from actors like Amanda Seyfried and Ethan Hawke we get mm -hmm. get out to be once again it's just a major right movie for showing that black cinema is still alive and well and that you can intersect it with horror movie elements and insert some social commentary and dark comedy you know <laughs> don't go in the and woods again, with just some fantastic actors like you know I I like that the indie, I mean, Get Out is not really an indie, but it would have been if it had been made 10 years earlier. Oh, like yeah. Blum, Blumhouse had pretty much kind of, and, you know, Jordan Peele, that was his first big, real big, like, thing. But, you know, Blumhouse is a big deal. But in the tw in the 2000s, that would have been, like, a small, and you would have had to, you know, go find it. And mm -hmm. I'm glad that it got all the press it did and that it, you know, got nominated for awards because it's a fantastic movie. And I, you know, I think that Get Out paved the way for Parasite, which not not from a plot or movie standpoint, but from a recognize from the United States recognizing people of color and even people from other countries as part of our cinematic. Yeah, Minari universe. is another one. We see yeah. other ones like that are we see like again just more and more historical period pieces instead of just seeing giant. Oh movies. yeah scale movies that wipe us out or that are three hours way too long we, we see more and more just socially relevant movies that mirror today's role we see spike lee make some great comebacks with black Klansmen after having mm -hmm. a bunch of the hit and miss movies we see oliver stone still working but his movies just aren't always landing unfortunately and we see people taking a transition from the big screen to tv and night Shyamalan starts producing a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. With Fox and Apple TV, we start seeing Jonathan Nolan, you know, brother and co-writer with his brother Christopher, start doing hit shows like Person of Interest and Westworld. 
Yeah. And he's already got like five other, you know, Michael Crichton and HBO, you know, projects lined right. up. <laughs> well, and I like that you get a lot of like big name actors that are doing, again, on streaming services, but like, for example, Reese Witherspoon's company that did Big Little Lies and like her and Nicole Kidman working together. Like, yeah. That on HBO, that was incredible. And then she, Reese Witherspoon is doing so many, you know, she's, she's done, um, Oh my gosh, what is that? The, the morning show. Yeah. She well, the morning show, but no, she's adapted a lot of books. Like, you know, they Little Fires Everywhere, I think is the one. Little Fire, yes, Little Fires Everywhere. Shinger Washington, also, Starnet. So Hulu starts racking in the dough and realizing they gotta get more serious just because they're a co-owned by both Fox and Universal. And I'm glad you brought up Big Little Lies because that shows is like actors want to become bigger filmmakers, if not yeah. directors, they can just come up with the concepts and green light it and agree to star in them. We see more and more, again, just actors headlining a show now. We see, uh, you know, that was by David E. Kelly. That changes his groove now. Now he wants to do less atypical, you know, formulas and focus more on just, he starts doing shows like that and Goliath now where he's like, okay, I can only tell the same story so many times. So I'm going to just show even more atypical kind of concepts with right. moody formulas and just bizarre characterizations by that only the best actors can bring to life. And uh, yeah, we see many Western TV shows since that's kind of a dying art. It only just pops mm -hmm. up here and there and again with ones like the True Grit remake and Assassination of by Jesse James. Mm -hmm. uh, when we see filmmakers even embrace that they can do any kind of movie. They can do a giant Sundance head and then they instantly get asked to do a superhero movie that many like or don't like. We see right. uh, people like David Fincher, you know, start experimenting with darker movies like Zodiac, which is, you know, a historical serial killer movie and then do right. true life uh, biopics like The Social Network. So we see so many very socially relevant movies that, again, like you say, uh, every one of every other demographic has seen and generally liked instead yeah. of reject or get pickier or oh that's a grandparents movie it's not a teenager or young adult movie <laughs> and you'll quote five well, years well the 2010s are full of you know just looking at my list like full of movies that are based on true stories that are socially relevant you know i wolf of wall street <sighs> sorry I don't know if you need to edit that out. There's lots of noise in here. Oh, that, that's, um, the, that's the Purge guys coming for you because they wanted to be mentioned. Yes, here. exactly. <laughs> but <laughs> We I have like cult movie franchises Street. returning. People are becoming tone deaf to reviews after a while because anything will make money. And yes, true crime movies are becoming a thing before they're becoming a big thing in pop, podcast form. And mm -hmm. uh, we, we, we see even more just satires. People now want to see something like Vice or... Mm -hmm. um what's the one with uh uh lucky stanfield uh it's a funny one oh. from 2017 with tessa thompson that's mixing sci-fi elements and making fun of corporations and medicine in the future uh but yeah we, we get all these kinds of movies and like you say there's a audience for everything and i'm looking it up now but yeah, we see all these other people making movies overseas. Paul Verhoeven makes a bunch of horror movies over and sci-fi films overseas since he's done with Hollywood. Sorry to bother you, <laughs> that was the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. We see Selma bring up various that was good. Yeah, yeah. tragedies about MLK's 
uh, Legacy and Knives Out is another one which shows you can mix in a whodunit uh, mystery I, with dark comedy. I love Knives Out. Clue is one of my favorite movies of all time and I feel like Knives Out was a good homage to that. Like it just, you know, I like the whodunit kind of mysteries and I think that they're fun and, you know, you've got Knives Out, but you also got like Murder on the Orient Express and which I know is more current and then the death on the Nile, but those kind of movies I think are a lot of fun. And with all the heavy shit, you know, like we spotlight. More, we get a bigger and, increase in wanting to make forties and fifties style movies right. to balance like out. With some comedic bigger movies. Yeah. Instead of just, it must be based on a comic book or a TV show heading to the big screen. We see. Yeah. Or a true uh, story. Right. Or a true story or a depressing, I don't know uh court case <laughs> right we, we see more and more goodfellows-esque kind of uh, mm -hmm. movies that have darkly comedic narration met with the departed and yeah there's departed there's yeah. itania which is i think a good look at just the most i really liked itania oh totally and just we see all these stars becoming bigger and bigger because they're taking more chances and they're becoming producers on every kind of movie we're seeing more and more options even though we're getting frustrated with lots of other movies that you know don't necessarily you know add up after a while and and then we every other sci-fi movie from this point on basically wants to be like avatar we see uh -huh. an increase in wanting more and more expensive special effects and then we encounter lots of flops like jupiter ascending and uh john carter and some people are like oh they're not that bad but see that's the other thing you know what then people become we start seeing more and more producers become more and more spoiled on what they think will work and then getting so stuck up with, oh, it's not what they want. It's like, well, how did you market it? And so it, it, it's becoming interesting seeing all the studios showing that they're not bulletproof in any way, shape, or form. Disney and mm -hmm. Paramount and uh, Fox pre-bought, buying and, uh, you know, are having to rethink this all and yet it seems like universal is always getting by by you know with a fast and furious movie or with a surprise hit comedy and, and that's under budget and lionsgate is still figuring out how to do independent business like bid on a yeah. giant in the 2000s they would bid on movies like a darren aronofsky depressing film or something like monster with charlie's theron you know and then mm -hmm. uh, and then cult movies like saw and so then they start amping it up with the 2010s by basically distributing a lot of the 80s 90s throwback movies like the expendables and now you see mm -hmm. me so I it is now you see me. yeah it's interesting how now you see me i mean you were talking earlier how knives out was kind of the next clue you're getting more and more of the same formulas that people still love 20 years later like oceans 11 is literally 10 you know 10 years later, you get now, you see me, and it's different, but it's similar, and yet just right. showing how everyone just wants a little more of everything. If you change it up enough, put, get actors to play unrecognizable roles that you'll talk about for days, yeah, you're guaranteed it's gonna, you're going to be watching it every time it's on USA Network or TNT. And right, for sure. This is then where we get into the whole, do you cut the cord and go with streaming, or do you give it up all together and go with, you know, buy everything on Blu-ray? Do you just, uh, or do you stick with cable TV and just watch whatever you can on a late Sunday afternoon, just like the radio, wait for something to be played for you. Right. 
<laughs> just hope for it. And give it a record. So we, we see everyone having to embrace all these options and not knowing that the answer is all in front of them and they just decide to use their imagination. And yet I still, to this day, I know I don't know about you, but I still hear or know other people who will spend an hour looking for something to watch instead of just yeah. searching and just- Oh, I'll do that. I'll search, but I'll make sure ahead of time instead of letting it eat up an entire hour and being like, oh, I'm right. out of time. I got to crash in a minute. <laughs> We're just so saturated with everything now that it's, and there's so much that you want to watch and they're, everything's so different that it's like, okay, well, what am I in the mood for, first of all? And then even then there's so many subgenres, and there's so many streaming and, you know, versus what you own, which we have a very, you know, thorough film collection, luckily on our server, so we can access it on the TV, but Apple TV. But even still, all the all the streaming, it's like, what? And do I want to watch something I've already seen or something new? And, and isn't it funny? Each time you buy a used movie, you still have the unused digital codes that already expired like a year after right? they were sold. And you're <laughs> you like, forget about I it. Wouldn't, I would have wanted to put this on my digital Apple TV somewhere. And others is like, no, I'm good. But yeah, people start embracing it if they aren't using iTunes or uh just any other big outlet to buy a movie then they're they're using voodoo or other stuff mm -hmm. that they can take with them wherever they go and watch it on repeat we're seeing that there are different uh in the in the mid-2000s you know they were already doing this to begin with but it was often with just kind of more sleazier or infamous b pictures but they start ma marketing it even more studios infamously start in the 2000s cutting up more movies and then releasing an unrated version so next thing you know Mm -hmm. You can't find the PG-13 or cut anymore. You can only find the R-rated or unrated cut. And they use it as part of the marketing. Sometimes it makes a difference. People revisit certain movies and are like, oh, well, this is the version that should have been in theaters. And then there are other movies where it's still the same goddamn messy movie. It's just got more gore and boobs. <laughs> exactly. Like, it's like something about Mary where, you know, the unrated version, you get to actually see Ben Stiller's did. dick it, get caught right. in his pants, but otherwise you don't. Like, I, I don't need to see that. Right. Um, they didn't want to bother re-rating it. I, I think they're doing better with that now as far as, like, for example, when Halloween Kills came out on Blu-ray or 4K or whatever, it had an alternate ending that they didn't show in the theaters. And I liked that because I watched it and I was like, well, I feel like they should have left that in. But it at least was something that added to it, not just like, oh, okay, I got to see somebody's boobs. Okay, great. Right. And it, they actually thought about story structure and give you the option to play a movie with an alternate ending instead of, oh, well, you know, there's right. this content we're told that the producer likes that we should put back in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but some movies, it does make a difference. Like I saw the director's cut of Dr. Sleep and I thought that it made it more chronological it didn't add much, order. but it, I liked it better. It made more sense. Yeah. It was still a good movie and I liked it either way, but you know, sometimes it does help to have that extra content. So a thousand percent. Uh, you hate it when a movie just feels like it could be anything, you know, it doesn't really right. add, add up together and We'll return after these messages. Do you ever find yourself thinking about who would win in a fight between Goku and Superman? 
Hi, I'm James Gavsey, and on the Who Would Win show, me and my co-host Ray ignore anything important happening in the outside world and debate fictional battles between characters from comics, movies, and video games. We got a new show every week, and almost always, am I the winner? Yeah, <laughs> not true, Ray. In the past, we've discussed such matches as Captain America versus Darth Vader, Solid Snake versus the Iron Giant, classic matchups like RoboCop versus Terminator, and even the Muppets versus Sesame Street. That one was crazy. So if you're a fan of geek culture and love a spirited debate, check out the Who Would Win Show wherever you get your podcasts, or check us out at whowouldwinshow.com. We let things pile up in the DVR. We add them to our queues. We wait for the DVDs and Blu-rays. We time shift. The Time Shifters podcast. Sci-fi, horror, fantasy, superheroes, comedy, action, film, television, maybe some not-so-current events. Find us on iTunes or at timeshifterspodcast.com. Cool thing about Blind Knowledge is we are in multiple countries. We are worldwide all across the globe. We are in the U.S. We are in the U.K. We are in Canada, Germany, India, Japan. We're in Australia, y'all. Blindknowledge.com. Now back to the feature presentation. Dragon Ball Z, One Piece, Naruto, all things that we love, all manga that were originally published in the legendary magazine Weekly Shonen Jump. But not every series can run for 300 chapters and have a hit anime. This is David. This is Jordan. We're the hosts of Shonen Flop. Each episode, we look at manga that ran and jumped that didn't quite make it. We discuss what it did wrong, what it did right, how the series could have turned itself around, and ultimately, was it a flop or not? Run all your favorite podcast apps, and you can find us at shonenflop.com. Keep on flopping, floppers. Uh, we, we start noticing uh increase in, like you say, just uh, options, and then people embracing options, and then realizing it, there is not going to be just any consistency to certain movies. People are having to actually wake up and think outside the box and realize there are so many different levels, you know, to everything mm -hmm. now. Uh, some movies are only going to be a one-time watch versus, like you say, like watch five yes. different times and notice something new each time. Yeah, there's a lot of movies that I, I have suggested to people that I'll be like, um, I'm only going to watch this once, but it's worth a watch. And mm -hmm. it's usually movies like Schindler's List or like 12 Years a Slave, which came out in the 2010s. Or I think that's a good really... contrast. 12 Years a Slave is a perfect example of a Schindler's List where you're just like, right. I'm still thinking about it. It still scarred me for life. It's still a great movie, but can't watch it again. And it's not, it's not right. going to happen. But, but you, it's a I good movie because I'm still admiring it. I'm still thinking about it daily, even, just in my cinematic geekdom universe so yeah it is funny right. how it's like we're getting a lot of that and there are other ones where it's like well the more i rewatch this you know mindless blockbuster the more i hate it <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> it never was good to begin with now i'm hearing the criticism that was unleashed upon it and why did it take 10 watches for me to find that out i'm an idiot <laughs> we're noticing more and more yeah uh, we're, we're allowing ourselves to actually realize what tone and mood and style really actually means after a while, instead of just, well, critics are idiots. Oh, yeah, it is pretty stupid when you become 30. Oh my God, this movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just think we get a lot more movies, especially from 2010s to now that 
I mean, are like this. I know people that won't watch, like, for example, Schindler's List. Uh, they've never seen it because they can't. It's too hard for me to watch. Okay, unless... And yet they're going to go see Top Gun, too, because they... I can handle right. mindless. Like, you need to... <laughs> yes, it's hard, but I think the problem... One of the problems we have as a society is that not only are we not learning about this stuff as much in school, we are too too fragile to even subject ourselves to it for a couple of hours. Like, would I suggest Schindler's List or 12 Years a Slave is something you should just watch over and over? Fuck no. But you need to watch it once. It's something you need to see to understand the atrocities that even watch movies suffered. you don't care about just once yeah. just to see why you don't like them instead of saying well someone in this review who i trust often talks smack about it that doesn't count they don't speak for you they're not your lawyer you right. go out and watch it but yes we, we have an increase i mean even before our current po political you know climate right and culture wars we start seeing more and more movies get killed by social media and tiktok bashing we start seeing more and more stuff that we just can't talk about even though we saw signs of it in the 2010s where we would see people complain online oh that movie was so good but that ending was offensive that, mm -hmm. that terrible directing or the plot didn't make sense it felt like a last minute rewrite we start opening ourselves up and realizing everything is a multi-step process producers green light stuff and sometimes take over projects uh, directors disown it even though it may not necessarily be a bad movie it might actually be one of their best movies in their resume they're just too close to it and we have to take that with a grain of salt we start right. seeing uh, movies that also just like you say is like we'll see we, we see other movies like Brokeback Mountain and Crash which get mm -hmm. into other culture wars before there were culture wars where people and are like crash is hard to watch it's so good that i cringe when i watch this movie i love but it but i that's understand the point though yeah. that's the point it's supposed to make you uncomfortable we're, you're we're... not supposed to be comfortable with sandra bullock using racial slurs i i compared like, to uh falling down where it's just yeah we're having it movies that again you know just more and more hard to talk about subject matter be you know and actors and unrecognizable roles and then uh yeah brokeback is another example of there's many people who are homophobes right. and it was dead to begin with and then there are others right. who is just like it's good it's not great or it is good but it's so sad <laughs> oh my god right and so we it, but people need to face this shit like you it's have not, to face the shit once in a while you can't it just pretend it doesn't exist you can't pretend you know? it doesn't exist and you can't you know it you should still just see every movie once. Just call yourself a film. Don't call yourself a film buff if you're refusing to see certain kinds of movies. You know, it does. Check it out and then use your words instead of. We start right. seeing an increase in more bloggers ranting. And I'm telling you, that's where I just really got turned off after a while, especially because, yeah. again, you get an increase on. We all have a voice now because of the internet. So. Now having a voice. And it's like. I mean, I have a fucking podcast. <laughs> right? So do I. And well, you're on here. Thought? <laughs> I also have a blog. <laughs> I also have a rule of no defamation of character. <laughs> you yeah. can say, I really don't think so-and-so is worth their weight as an actor. They're just very bland. That's better than, I hope they burn in hell because yeah, I can't fucking stand them. It's like, yeah, no, that's not cool. They're, they have to do a job just like you. It's okay to exactly. not like them. And this is where we kind of figure out how crazy the whole stardom factor is, how uh, certain movies just don't ever make any money, how 
some people literally are born overnight and we're finding out, wow, they're a good actor, but they're an absolute dickhead in interviews or just dipshit on right. set. Uh, get without their lines they really don't have a voice but hey acting and so we're having to learn to separate the person you know all the julia roberts and tom cruises of the world we're having to realize okay good actor kind of stupid person but it just happens it's part of the deal oh i love tom hanks i think he's a good no, no, person no. Cruise. oh cruise okay sorry i thought you said tom why hanks i don't know why I'm... would i hate on america's dad no <laughs> uh, you know what uh, so talking cruise. about Cruise. Yeah, so Cruise. Yeah, he's, he's Cocoa Puffs. Good actor, just um, stupid person. The one thing I did like it's two movies and they both have the same actor in them, but I think it's I liked that they did these kind of movies with bringing up historical things, but telling Yeah, we have a lot of historical story. fiction. We have a lot of cool uh counterparts to that. That's so true. Like so the the two I was thinking was Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained, which I know are both Christoph Waltz, but I think historical fiction is cool because you get to see at some level how things were, but you also get this entertaining. I mean, Inglorious Bastards is fucking amazing. It is such a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> when he's like, Congratulations to you and your cows or whatever. This milk is delicious and he's there to kill them. Like what the fuck. Um but those movies are hard to watch too. I mean, Django Unchained is hard to watch. You get oh, to, yes. <laughs> even though it is a comedy, it is still, you know, I don't like to watch people being whipped, especially like black people as slaves being whipped. I don't want to see that. It makes me very sad and uncomfortable and hurt. But yeah, we have to sit with that stuff. You know, when Spotlight came out, I didn't, I love Spotlight, but I didn't want to watch it. I don't want to think about these little kids being molested by it their. It was pretty priests. good. It, it's but, probably one of the fewer movies where everyone was like kind of cool with winning, even though again they weren't going to watch it again because yeah. it, it just felt more natural and it was rewarding to fans of the actors to see them in good roles. And like you right. say, it, there it does have material. It's like yeah, I, I get, I'm not watching that again. I get where its heart is in the right place, but <laughs> at least it's not an exploitation movie like some. Exactly. We see so many other movies where we're just like, hey, you're a good actor. I'm sure this was great for you to bring to light, but there are many others that we see down the road where we're just like, eh, I don't want to see. It's about incest. It's about a, mm -hmm. you know, rapist turned rock star. You know, it's about a, yeah. it's about no, a, thanks. it's about a massacre at a Grand Canyon by serial killers. I don't want to see that. I mean, I think as people, unless unless it causes you trauma or triggers a trauma response, if something makes you uncomfortable, you need to watch it and you need to sit in that discomfort and think about why it makes you uncomfortable. Now, if it causes a trauma triggered kind of response, then I understand why maybe people, you know, there are there are certain movies I can't watch for that reason. But other right. than that, people need to, it's okay to be uncomfortable. Time to pucker up. the 2010s up. were good at that. <laughs> Um, not everything has to be icing on the cake too. sometimes it can be just the other meal that you don't want to eat but which is good for you <laughs> yeah exactly uh, i guess you don't want to eat stupid you don't salad you're right you don't want to do broccoli or spinach too bad this is what we're doing tonight with we'll just put a ton of cheese and tomato sauce on it we'll yeah <laughs> just get drunk as long as you don't just start crying drunk. it's okay <laughs> take your um, sorrows to the bedroom i I really liked what they did with horror in the 2010s. I was thinking about um, the Babadook, Hereditary, and It Follows. 
I really liked and Get Out, which I sort of consider horror, but not really. But I really it's more of a dark social... comedy with a freaky yeah. ending in the last ten minutes. But I'm hit and miss I like on the it. Social commentary. I, yeah, I, I do like the rebirth of the George Romero type social commentary. I do like. Uh, I, I went and saw Oculus in the theater. I was like one of three people, and I was blown away. And like, see, people can do a freaky. It. It was, that that was the birth of Mike Flanagan, who later went on to do Doctor Sleep and, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, oh, what's the other one? The Gerald's Game and oh yeah, a, a bunch of the other just experimental kinds of movies. And uh, I, I like how Scott Derrickson does. Um, oh, what's it called? Um, you know, he starts becoming more than just a genre guy and trying out uh, the sinister films as well as. Mm-hmm uh other just kind of freaky stuff that we hadn't really seen since the 80s and 90s but we kind of see the return of just cops going after supernatural menaces you know kind of like falling <laughs> in the first power and uh, a non-trashy version of shockers so to speak you know just we're seeing <laughs> we're seeing movies that is like okay oh, shocker so what a shock but yeah we're, we're seeing more and more movies that are similar and yet they're kind of doing their own take on it and it's like just more the return of the demonic exorcism kind of thrillers the more mm-hmm. instead of just the billionth like you say star wars or alien knockoff where you're just like give me a break and uh yeah uh red jerry is definitely an example of like it's often been called ordinary people meets hellraiser mm-hmm. um so yeah a24 becomes a big studio and it's just got bought by apple so that'll be interesting to see what uh. they turn out um uh, they Again, everyone's buying everyone. <laughs> Sony yeah. does a few other companies on the side, like uh, Screen Gems and yeah, Which Screen Gems to, has done some good stuff. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the name of the one that was. Oh, it was another one that like produced a bunch of big blockbusters like Looper and Olympus Has Fallen. Oh. Damn. It was. It lasted for like three years and then closed down. And it was like that was a cool logo and and <laughs> right a, a typical projects. I'll look it up. But okay, uh, it is interesting how we see more and more independent companies. We see open road films, which often gets a lot of Fox distribution. Uh, Sticks mm-hmm. is another current one. They do a lot of Heat and Training Day kind of movies, just cops and robbers type of stuff with giant all star casts like Triple Nine and uh, Twenty One Bridges. You know so. Which is Chadwick Boseman's last movie, and again, we just see more and more people just trying to just come up with concepts that aren't exactly, you know, not everything has to be Inception or, uh, like I say, a Saw or even a Black Swan. Yeah, or even similar to a hit TV show on at that time, like CSI or <laughs> right, like everything i especially the 2010s i feel like there were so many just mindfuck kind of movies like inception and black movies Swan. that people would hate watch we started yeah. inventing that term parasite gone girl like <laughs> yeah gone girl is a great example people arguing about the ending for years even though it's a pretty clear-cut ending they're like yeah but how am i supposed to feel like, well you're supposed to feel pretty fucked up yeah you're supposed to feel like this sucks and the book you know you get a lot more deep dive into their characters obviously but you know, it's, I think it's a good social commentary, not only on how we embrace true crime, like, obviously, that's modeled after Scott Peterson, 
you know, mm-hmm. we we kind of know that that's what that's modeled after. And I will just go on the record for saying that I don't know whether or not he did it. I think that he did, but he did not get a fair trial. They did not prove he killed her. But because of media, and especially now with social media, it's so easy, and they break it down in that movie, how to, to see how stuff gets taken out of context and gets blown up or you know he's not crying he's a sociopath oh he is crying he's a liar and the way that we are as people it's like we see these people and we want them to be exactly what we think they should be and you know i thought that was a good movie for that but also it reminded me of other popular movies like presumed innocent and uh, mm-hmm. a perfect murder it was kind I of love that movie. Oh, yeah. Just the fun movies you grew up watching and everyone had seen, even if they didn't necessarily know the name, they knew the stars and the directors and writers and mm-hmm. the themes involved with it. And so, yeah, there's like we're seeing a return to more and more movies that have to outline stuff that, again, it's in the form of an entertaining mystery with great plot twists and right. great style and a moody look, visual look and actors who people generally were the butt of many jokes like you know Ben Affleck and um uh Tyler Perry of all people you know just being yeah. unrecognizable performances and we're showing how anyone can be good in anything and anything can be talked about with the right filmmaker who knows how right. to engage and even the neo-nazis on social media will shut up because it's too much for even their stupid minds so right and so yeah the company I was trying to Reference earlier that used to be distributed oh, by yeah. Sony Film District. That was the one. So, oh yeah, I remember giant off some neon okay. letters, and apparently it's now owned by. I think it was owned by Universal briefly. Yeah, and so it's okay. So it's been taken over by Focus Features. So that was another cool company that came out in the two thousands, twenty tens. Is like Universal had their own indie company, and it was just so wild how, uh, you know them and rogue and even sony uh, pictures comes out with stage six you know just films that oh yeah get a limited release if not direct video release and you never know what you're in for but it's always atypical but yeah universal came up with so many different kinds of movies including swimming pools sylvia 21 grams mm-hmm. the door on the floor one. uh broken flowers the constant gardener the 2005 pride and prejudice mm-hmm. talk to me which i think is a very underrated look at the radio life during the 70s eastern promises atonement in bridges the limits of control and pirate radio so Hmm. they continue on into the 2010s with the american uh hannah beginners the debt pariah which i think is another wonderful lgbtq film oh i haven't seen that one yeah check it out that is so excellent. That launched indie filmmaker D. Rays, and it showed how, again, it, it's tough growing up as a 70 year old, you know, closeted woman mm-hmm. uh, as a minority and show, learning how to fend for yourself. And this is the rise of where we start seeing people like Spike Lee. You know, he, mm-hmm. he's one of the producers on this. He gives them like 10K, you know, uh, to. Uh, to you know distribute this we see more and more people like start putting their names on something redford puts his name on anything that he has faith in we start seeing again you know anything even 
basically George Clooney is involved with anything David Soderbergh's involved with, even if they're right. <laughs> even if they're not directing or starring respectively. We start seeing more and more. Uh, like Forrest Whitaker apparently helped get Fruitvale Station get funded. Oh, that's okay, a, that's a, cool. That's uh, another one where it's like, but you can name anyone who's seen Creed or right. Black Panther, but have you seen the movie that got that indie filmmaker? It's such a different style because he was working with nothing and he was making Michael B. Jordan become a star and all these other mm-hmm. actors unrecognizable and so yeah we, we see other actors like felicity jones eddie redmayne and take off we see even actors who we've come to respect for years like john leguizamo vincent d'onofrio mm-hmm. and uh marissa Talmay and all these other people just start becoming a more and more atypical kind of crowd pleasers viola davis really starts taking off uh, tv actors yeah. like uh Oh, well, just from like every other giant show, start really doing a lot of movies and eating right. real stores. We start seeing atypical performances. Like we start seeing typically comedic actors like John Goodman and uh, Brian Cranston become very, very dramatic to where we're just, like, mm-hmm. we forgot that they started out being very funny people. And right. we, we start noticing. Have you seen, sorry, have you seen The Righteous Gemstones? Yes. Oh my fucking god! I and love that show. That's another show. show is so like, much. How does it exist? Because yeah. it's just like the right people talk to the right programmers. The the programmers start freeing up. We start seeing more and more uh, filmmakers do films that aren't typical of their style, and that's okay. They can do it without, you know, having their career right. career be killed. We start seeing uh companies just split the bill now <laughs> we have perfect world pictures is another big company regency entertainment mm-hmm. village roadshow starts working with sony instead of warner brothers you know so yeah it's like people start changing different loyalties and uh, it's funny how certain companies even start producing less and less certain movies like universal again just goes it, it focuses less as it goes on in worrying about whether they win all the Oscars and more on their TV programming and more on just having a hit stoner movie and giant car racing with Vin Diesel every year. Uh, yeah, but seeing... they also, I mean, they partnered with Blumhouse on Halloween 2018, well, which I go. think was, you yeah. know, I mean, it's a reboot, but for a reboot, I think, and, and so speaking of Righteous Gemstones, Danny McBride, he's part of that. I think yeah. Halloween 2018 is one of my favorite movies from the decade because it was made by fans. It was basically This is true. You know, we start seeing the for a while yeah. in the 2000s it starts off with doing a 2009 Star Trek or being like The Dark Knight or uh just one of those other giant movies. We everyone's trying to make it be like that kind of movie. Uh uh but then they stop doing that and then they start doing yeah, in the, in the 2010s they start they do two different reboots of Ghostbusters. Um, I, the last movie that I really liked seeing in the theaters, in a hot take, was Terminator Dark Fate. Mm. And everyone was like, oh, it's a box office bomb. I'm like, guys, it was supposed to be the final actual finale. <laughs> right. And, and, you but, get all these reboots, and some of them are good, and some of them aren't. But like, We become oversaturated, think- and it's hard for everyone to keep up with everything, because audiences right. don't google stuff unfortunately and i think when you get people who and again i'm I'm just like using halloween 2018 as an example you get people who love the franchise who grew up with it who respect the story and the characters you know like 
David Gordon Green and Danny McBride and Jason Blum and they're all like okay somebody is gonna redo this movie if we don't do it somebody's gonna do it so and to get John Carpenter's blessing and you can tell by watching it I mean granted it's a you know a horror movie it's not an Oscar winner but you can tell by watching it it was made by people who love it because of I can definitely get behind that one versus kills which didn't make any sense (laughs) it was a buffer film in my opinion um (laughs) yeah it was a buffer to the last one we start seeing people realize that there's an audience for everything even though it was 20 years ago they make more star wars movies they make the hobbit prequel trilogy they make and you know it's wild how halloween came out just after the remake films and <laughs> they did a sequel to right. the remake with rob zombie and so then like rob zombie ruined our movie <laughs> right and, and so then everyone's having to accept different fandoms of different things and it, it's kind of like the twilight zone in star trek everyone's gonna do a different take on the same damn thing every five years right um they're already talking about another friday the 13th remake and i'm like okay knock yourselves out Um, yeah i just if they could do it the problem was they did like rob zombie halloween but then they did the nightmare on elm street and the friday friday the 13th 2009 and i want to say i can't remember when i always around the same time i encourage everyone to basically yeah they are pretty they're a piece of work but um i always encourage everyone to kind of do the evil dead routine do a silent remake that doesn't offend anybody (laughs) (laughs) regardless of whether they like it or don't care for it it doesn't piss them off and then hit it back with a giant large-scale tv you know three-part thing and then announce that you're still going to do another proper sequel to it again down the road even though you know the studio doesn't want to make it but you do want to make it so if people are realizing they can make anything continue on and so this is where Mm -hmm. i mean every other thing seems to get a crowdfunder uh you know i've never seen it i saw the movie and i didn't know what was going on but veronica mars was an example of some successful movie that was funded by the fans oh uh comedians Uh, start doing it more filmmakers start doing it and they use that as part of the gimmick saying hey here's what you paid for super troopers 2 gets yeah this is, that's what i was about to say super troopers really? 2 is the same okay, thing. Nice. <laughs> so it just shows this like uh, everyone also learns to just kind of just be like hey i i may not have left much of a lasting impression but kind of had a fun time stupid yeah, exactly. fun time we, we start embracing that some stuff just isn't there is no point in really critiquing it because you kind of already know whether or not you're be the audience of something to begin with, and you can silently agree. So like you say, it does get a little more progressive with, again, fans finally getting behind the camera and showing what they got, uh, as well as uh, just studios taking a gamble once in a while and saying, you know, I really am sick of dealing with this in-development hell title. I'll give it to you. Knock right. yourselves out. And so yeah, we do see those kind of just Blade Runner or Unforgiven type scripts, the scripts that have been kept away for years and then finally got made because, you know, out of peer pressure, they're about to lose the rights, don't want to, you know, pay five yeah. million back. And then uh in fact that was one of my other favorite movies I saw in the theater, the Blade Runner 2049. And it's like perfect. So give me the first 10, 20 minutes. You're trying to recreate the world, have some homages, and then boom. You're building upon the beloved world that you recreated, and then you're 
building another complicated mystery and then just breaking our hearts once again and wiping us out and then saying, man, that was <laughs> I think I just yeah. lost my soul like the evil bots in that movie. <laughs> Oh, yeah. not, those movies are a little outside my scope i will say the no all good I, the rise of the you know end of world sci-fi blockbusters you know are just not really my jam now like they're just a little i will admit i am not a, a mad max much. fan but that does surprising numbers <laughs> because it's yeah just it's fast and furious in in the future and right uh I think the reason it was a big success is just it was a very straightforward gimmick. And so when you have, we keep seeing that some movies, even if you don't like them, even if they're too generic in some ways, like they keep doing major stuff overseas because people like the characters and the concept and just the experience, even if it's on a small screen, they love just having their attention just taken away for a full hour so yeah we see an increase in other stuff like that like other superhero movies uh i think james mangold is a perfect example of someone who started off as kind of a workman-like guy and then kind of just kept coming out like everything to him is a western so Mm -hmm. uh, you know ford versus ferrari perfect example You, you think going in oh it's gonna be a stupid guys movie about cars and then it ends up being a giant historical movie about adventure yeah i loved it it was really good. And I was so surprised. I'm like, hey, the gal from uh, Outlander's in this. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Christian Bell. Uh, so freaking Batman. Yeah, I didn't really want to watch it. So I'm with right? you. I, I actually Batman and Jason it. Bourne. Yeah, I figured it was going to be good, but not great or overrated. And I was like, no, just right. Just right. Yeah. <laughs> the Punisher, Jason Bourne, and Batman are all in this. That's great. And, right. <laughs> and, uh, well, yeah. And I, I think, you know, I, I think Mangold is going to, Hot take. I think he's going to kick ass with this upcoming Indiana Jones 5. I think he's going to totally... I hope so. Because just after seeing Forward's Variety, I'm like, no, he's really... He surprised me with that in those Wolverine movies. I And, and I, I think he's going to get even more emotional and provide the perfect mashup of practical stunts, expensive uh, tone-establishing shots, and uh, just utter brutal escapades. <laughs> so... Yeah, I don't know. The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is such a bad taste in my mouth that I'm kind of like, let's, yeah. let's hope that it's good. You know, I, I don't think they can do anything worse. And I think even then, with low <laughs> expectations, I, I I think with the cast they've assembled with Antonio Banderas being the villain, it'll be pretty cool. But we'll see. It could very well be another misfire. It could be very well be like all these other movies where that's the second worst reboot. Why you should just stop? But yeah. Um, we we start seeing more and more, uh, you know, by this point also, many other actors are resurrecting their careers by, like you say, doing a surprise cameo, which mm-hmm. was underplayed. No one knew they were in this horror movie or this uh, wacky comedy that won all the awards or all the attention that year. Uh, we see more and more of uh, beloved actors in their uh, you know, way past their prime now doing, you know, tough guy out for revenge movies. <laughs> that <laughs> opens up a whole different channel. Is like, uh, we, we start, you know, aside from the expendables, we start seeing again, yeah. Uh, Denzel Washington does it with Man on Fire and then later mm-hmm. with The Equalizer a decade later. And then Liam Neeson, of course, you know, with Taken. And then yeah. it's just so interesting how 
then they base that second or in that case fifth stage of their career off of those movies and then they're basically becoming rivals again with the uh, with Stallone and Tom Cruise and even newer guys like Jason Statham and Vin Diesel and The Rock mm-hmm. and The Rock is then kind of joins Kevin Hart for a while there and just saying let's just do wacky movies that are stupid and are guaranteed that everyone will see. Let's do Jumanji. Let's do Central Intelligence. Let's do uh, a kids movie where we're doing voiceovers. Let's do financial Cent- security. So is Central Intelligence the one where they went to high school together? Yeah, and they find okay. out the Rock is and a then, crazy spy. Yeah. I liked that one. I thought it was cute. I mean, again, totally. it's, you know, just something to entertain you, but I thought it was pretty funny. I thought it was very funny too. I think we see a huge increase in, I mean, with Hitman's Bodyguard, we kind of show that mm-hmm. people still want to see a rush hour, 48 hours type yeah. formula instead of the billionth, you know, obviously there's plenty of other diehard lethal weapon type blockbusters that do pretty good bank. We, we see, uh, again, you know, Gerard Butler becomes bigger. He was kind of the has-been guy who everyone was kind of underusing in shitty comedies, you know, post-300, and then he makes a comeback with Olympus Has Fallen. Everyone's mm-hmm. like, you know, Which critics really are, good. yeah, I, I love them all. Yeah, I, I saw, I am actually one of the few to have seen them all in the theater and just get, <laughs> and just literally just like, hey, the tone was different in each of those, but I can't lie. I couldn't do it better than that. That's that's pretty badass. That's pretty dope. And so, yeah, we, we see even more brutal movies coming out. We're seeing more people where uh, even gimmicks like, you know, the 2000s on Leash, even movies that you can't even just, you know, you, you talked earlier about movies that, uh, again, you have to force yourself to see, even though you think, you know, how it sounds is kind of mushy or generic. We see even more movies that essentially sum up uh, uh just survival sequences you know we, we mm-hmm. redford did this one where he's lost at sea you know all is lost we see in the 2000s we see more claustrophobic movies that often that that's what movies become marketed as like we're going to give you the next panic room we're going to give you the next right. phone booth <laughs> hey there's some holly Berry's out in a movie where she's got to catch a kid it's taken meat cellular you know? yeah <laughs> <laughs> and we, we see all these other movies where it's like this shit wrote itself and it's pretty dope it's pretty good for what it is <laughs> people are talking about it even though the plot left a lot to be desired in the last 10 minutes or the music was kind of weepy soap opery it's like hey you enjoyed yourself ryan reynolds yeah the first time he gained my respect. I just knew him as the guy who was just in all, you know, dorky movies like Waiting and one of the Blade movies. And, you know, a few years before Deadpool comes out, he's in this movie called Buried. I'm less blown away. I'm like, see, you can take this Spanish crew and they can assemble a movie with these American and Canadian actors and they can do this horror yeah. action movie where a guy is trapped in a coffin in the middle of Mexico by a terrorist held for ransom. And it ends sad but yet i'm blown away by it and i'm thinking about it for days and it's one hell of a movie because how much suspense can you drive in a movie which is set in one location right (laughs) a lot it doesn't have to look low budget or be self-indulgent it can actually be pretty good that makes it a lot harder too like i remember i mean this is from the 90s but misery did that very well misery did that well and so yeah it's like 
every other movie for a while it seemed like if it wasn't a zombie movie home invasion movie or just a bunch of college pals hanging out and just they did a john cassavetes thing where basically they filmed their acting buddies just talking over the weekend and that was the movie it was like now now they're having to think even more outside the box and figure out what right why, why they find it very appealing and yeah it's yeah i'm with you it's just so wild it's a very good time for movies totally for time. sure Totally, totally. Well, yeah, that was a. Uh, I know I have a long list of movies Hopefully that we gave I need to go back and rewatch. <laughs> <laughs> what? I think we gave everyone a mind fuck here. I, I mean, yeah, there's just so much versatility and a lot to choose from. I mean, just depending on as what. As much you... frustration as I have with some movies that just piss me off, I can't really say that there aren't plenty of options. I think it now. This is the year where everyone has to learn to grow as people. You know, defend yourself. To defend what you love and yeah. more or less go out and see it you're gonna see it anyway if it's got a famous filmmaker or star that you adore <laughs> yeah i just say fuck all the keyboard warriors at this point i mean fuck all of them fandom has gotten very toxic and i you know i was on a halloween us. fans <laughs> face facebook page and i had to get off of it because people were so toxic it's like I can say Halloween 3 is a great movie and I like it. And if you don't like it, that's fine. You don't have to, but you don't have to make me feel like shit about it. Oh, same thing with like, Star Wars, right? We're getting into the prequels versus the sequel trilogy. Yeah. And it's like, I always become a buffer. I'm always going, hey, at least everyone loves The Mandalorian. And that shuts them up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, people have too much time on their hands to be, you if know. I don't like it. I'm just going to say it as that. I really found yeah. the ending of one of those really bad. But hey, I think everyone is learning to appreciate Halloween free. So boom. But yeah. Yeah. And it is hard to tell people that sometimes they're just like, no, there's only one right answer. I'm like, oh, come back. Come back. <laughs> come back. <laughs> Who told back you in. that's how the world works? Because that is not the way it works. <laughs> <laughs> Idiot. Uh, Idiot. Yeah. We, we Idiot. see an increase in, I mean, we kind of glossed over it. I mean, more movies were even trying to be like uh, Napoleon Dynamite and even uh, freaking mm -hmm. uh, uh, Blair Witch, where people rent out equipment on a camcorder and you know make a movie with easy to get actors right. and become a success. Because again, they didn't they worried about the story instead of how it looked and you know right. And some, they believe you know, sometimes other. people can appreciate that raw, unedited if it you know is done the right way. We see more and more people who just seem to act like everything is easy to figure out. And it's like, no, no, no. Some movies, you know, uh, you know, movies like Sicario work because they spend more and more time on uh, just the concept, the mm -hmm. feeling. You've already seen, you know, Cat and Mouse, <laughs> Cops and Robbers, yeah. uh, FBI agents versus cartel in that case. So what did it focus on? Why was it a success? It was a success because it it tackled all this tricky, hard to talk about stuff. War crimes, uh, shell shocked, <laughs> uh, yeah. rookie versus veterans who've been doing this way too long and technically should be prosecuted. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, training day? Right, training day and uh, heat. You know, just yeah. people who know nothing and who, uh, you know, uh, if they report the other bad apples then they're 
going to be read the Patriot card and told to step down. So it's like, mm-hmm. uh, and certain people are able to talk about that. Uh, we see, uh, I even glossed over it a bunch. I really love Paul Greengrass and his work on Bloody Sunday and Captain Phillips. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. he, there's many people who do the docudrama thing. And if they're not doing a 12 years of slave kind of period piece, which wipes you out and makes you go, man, I'm thinking about this still a decade later. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there's so many other uh, people who start trying to, again, think outside the box and just focus on the feel. You know, the studio chose all the actors and cinematographers they were going to work with, but they already had their shots figured out in their head and knew how to convey it. And, right. Uh, Neil Blomkamp, I, I love how he's given an apple by Peter Jackson, who was also at the second stage of his career after doing, you know, dark comedies and horror movies. You know, mm-hmm. After Lord of the Rings, everyone, you know, realizes there's more than George Lucas's Industrial Light and Magic that can do, or Digital Domain that can do special effects. You know, Weta starts inviting, again, more models and digital work and making it look just brilliant with the Planet of the Apes films. And they allow, oh, they, yeah. they work with No Blancamp on his, uh, again, Elysium and District 9 and, it shows that you can have all these other cult filmmakers who could do all sorts of different, you know, R-rated mayhem. <laughs> yeah. And I love District 9, especially because, you know, Elysium talks about how basically healthcare is going to be even more fucked up in the future where basically corporations are literally going to take your leg if you owe yeah. the money. And that wasn't easy for everyone to talk about. And I'm like, ah, you pussies. You got to talk about stuff. Yeah, but you need to. <laughs> you need to. And District 9 talked about stuff that, most people don't want to talk about it. They don't want to acknowledge it. I'm like, it's about apartheid. Yeah. yeah. It's like, well, why do you think it's said in South Africa? It's not just yeah. the fact that he's a South African filmmaker. So, yeah. But it's like, you know out. that most people, like, as in people Gen Z and older or younger, they don't even know what apartheid is. It doesn't exist anymore. It hasn't even existed for a long time. Even though elements of an avatar and everyone's too stuck up uh, in comparing it to the other movies. And it's like, yeah, and guess what Mohicans and Ferngully were dealing with? Apartheid, yeah. racism, conquering. Exactly. Two cultures coming together over love and then finally saying, I guess we can get along now that we had a good dickin'. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That makes everything better. <laughs> it helps when you're in love. Yeah. I'm, still yeah, not gonna invite, I'm still not inviting the angry Uncle Kyle and Aunt Karen to dinner, though. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. well thank you ever so much for being on here you kicked ass here anytime this was even better i think because you basically got into more of the movies that uh are a big giant fan service and i was just talking more just about who bought who and who yeah (laughs) says what and who determines the rest of their career from that point on and so this was fun to just kind of just like this deep 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 yes Uh, very deep dive well, we'll talk about another chat soon, and I'll get off my ass and yeah, for sure. soon, by, definitely by the fall. Uh, where can we find you on the media? The uh, media. <laughs> the socials. Uh, so uh, I host the Syphilis podcast, and... Uh, I guess um, each time she says the name. Yes. Sip whatever is closest to you. Um, no, Next time there's a convention pop- in town for podcasters, we got to get together. <laughs> I know. I want to. And then you should come on the sip list as well. I'm sure we can think of a top five to do. Um, Anything. Uh, pick a random actor. I'll be like, fuck, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah, uh, everywhere, like Facebook, the Sipless Podcast, Twitter, it's list underscore sip, and I'm pretty active on Twitter. Um, and then it is a good show, guys. Please check it out because thank you. Not just because I'm stroking the ego, although I love to, but really, it's I appreciate just, it. You guys really are pretty progressive, and you just, it's, it's just a fun kind of wine and dine kind of so to speak everyone's having a dinner book club basically <laughs> yeah i mean it's we aim to have fun it sounds and... more natural as opposed to you know let's uh, do some heavy editing to make it sound like we're doing you know we're putting a movie on trial or we're doing a, what have you been right. watching you know 40 minutes before we finally start talking about the subject <laughs> <laughs> no i mean pretty on key you're pretty on key Thanks. We have a lot of fun and I'm always welcoming new guests. So yeah, anybody who's listening or wants a topic done or wants to come on. Listen. <laughs> Finish him. <laughs> Thank you. Oh God. We I'm so glad we had this whole chat without even getting into video game movies. What would be I know I know. Well, and we didn't even get into raunchy comedies either. So so I was thinking about the hangover and anchorman. Yeah, and pretty much <laughs> I just said Universal did a Judd yeah. Apatow movie every other True, yeah, that's, true. That's all I did. I was just like, yeah. I didn't say they were always good. <laughs> there was a lot. <laughs> well, we'll talk about that next time. Thank you for having me. Anytime. This was delight. <laughs> well, have a great night. Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up-